Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to the Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Welcome back to another episode of Deeds in the Desert. On the episode is going to be Carrie Cook, president of Ignite Funding, and Pat Vassar, director of underwriting. All right, let's uh, let's flip over to the average duration of loans by loan type. Again, we're talking about commercial residential, so I think we've covered that. But why why the difference in these loan types? Let's take commercial as the first example and kind of walking through the acquisition, development, and construction of our commercial projects and the duration of time that those take, because if we look at our average loan duration, it's approximately 10 months. So what I'm seeing here on the chart is that it is actually uh, higher from the commercial side. Absolutely. Each product type, each location, each municipality takes a little bit different uh, timing when it comes to it. Commercial tends to be longer just because of the size of the project and the overall scope of the projects. Some of them are master plan communities that are involving multiple municipalities, multiple districts that just take a lot of coordinating to get done. So it, it's um, it should be fairly evident as to why commercial would typically take longer than residential. However, what may not be as readily uh, apparent is how long commercial loans take within the life cycle. You know, the the first stage of the property is acquiring it, then you move to developing it, and then you move to constructing it. So we always talk about being, you know, cradle to grave, the Mm -hmm. full life cycle. So of those three stages, I mean, as you can see, you know, ones take a little bit longer than the others. But that kind of correlates back to overall risk level, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it takes longer, it's a higher higher level of risk. Because it's a higher level of risk, our loan to values are a little bit less. Mm -hmm. Our rates of return are a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. Um, So we try to do what we can to compensate our investors for that increased level of risk. Makes perfect sense. And then you would see the the opposite on the residential side, right? I mean, (laughs) you would expect that that would move along a little bit faster when you're building a 2,200 square foot house versus a 20,000 square foot commercial property, right? I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Absolutely. Um, and in some cases it, it could take longer when we're talking about, I know we've moved out of kind of the low end, um, you know, residential to more of a high end residential and those homes take quite a bit longer to build. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you will see the ebb and the flow of both our commercial, uh, and residential projects as far as the duration of time that they take. Uh, is there anything else there that you think uh, listeners should know about when it when it comes to duration and maybe the difference between the acquisition development and construction phases? Yeah. Why why do we see a longer phase for acquisition versus development? Well, it just it just it just simply takes that long. Like you said, yeah. you know, building a 200 square foot shopping center is going to take you a little bit longer than mm-hmm. building a 2000 square foot house. Yeah. Simply because of the size, scale and scope of the overall project. One anomaly on this sheet is it looks like the average duration for development and construction loans of residential products are virtually identical. Um, that 
just has, has to do with a few really quick developments that mm-hmm. we got involved with that went uh, way, 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 way faster than anticipated. Yeah. And some residential construction loans that took a lot longer than anticipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, give it a few years, you'll see that that shift, just like commercial is, where construction will be shorter than development. Mark my words. All right. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> End of Q3. For sure. Mark it on your calendars. You will see a difference there. All right, let's move over to residential and commercial borrowing rates. Now, I'm going to be honest here. Um, This is our first time we're doing a piece that involves all years. Um, So we will work to get more accurate data on this information. Um, And what I mean by that is you will notice that our borrower exit strategy financing rate range, what a mouthful, um, is something that, you know, we know what our borrowers are telling us as far as what the rates that they're getting. And we know that that's the range that they're getting. But what we're trying to illustrate here is we get asked the question a lot of, are you going to increase your interest rates, right? That's a big question a lot of Mm -hmm. people are asking right now. Um, As we see the gap closing a little bit, but really, is it closing a whole lot? I mean, we're talking 2011 to current. So we've added a few other details on this chart, just just so everybody knows kind of the, the scope here. We're talking about residential, something we can all relate with, what the interest rates are on the residential side. We're talking about, you know, the small business side, you know, what does that look like? I think a lot of us can relate there what that looks like. But then we get into this borrower exit strategy financing. We talked about the duration of time it's taking for borrowers to get their financing through the banks. Um, so Pat, talk to me about this kind of conduit to final, you know, where the borrower wants to be, because we're kind of, the way that this stacks is not the order that it goes in, right? The sandwich should probably be turned upside down. Uh, they may start with us and try to go down from there. Yes. So and talk that's typically that. how it's done. You know, mm-hmm. we get involved typically before banks will. So mm-hmm. on the acquisition of, of land, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that, we charge more than banks do because yeah. we, there's just a higher level of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so to look at averages when it comes to our average exit uh, rates for our borrowers is really hard to put into one number because we we finance so many different things. Mm-hmm. You know, multifamily has different rates than retail does, that mm-hmm. than office does, than industrial does, that a single family house does. Mm-hmm. And because of that, to squish it all into one number is, uh, you know, does it a little bit of a, a disservice mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't really quite tell the whole story. But to your point, those rates have been compressing. The The difference between what we're charging and what banks are charging has gone down. Mm-hmm. And when it does go down, you know, we get more attractive borrowers, more mm-hmm. attractive asset classes and more attractive loans, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, historically... If you if you look at our industry, um, we are now in line with the the difference of where banks are char- banks mm-hmm. are charging compared to what private lending institutions are charging, and so you know our investors should be lucky that they got that ten percent return back in two thousand eleven, twelve, and thirteen. That wasn't a typical rate of return for private mm-hmm. lending. Uh, it was closer to that eight nine range, yeah. but we were able to get a, a much higher uh, a margin. Right now, we're not able to get as high of a margin because there are 
a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, simply put, there's a lot of private lenders out there, mm-hmm. most of which come in the form of small mom and pop shops mm-hmm. that are lending out, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to a few million dollars at a time. And because of that increased competition, rates have decreased. The spreads have decreased over what banks banks can charge. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you see, Carrie? How do you see that changing here? You know, over the next few years. Yeah. Thanks for that loaded question, Pat. <laughs> um, well, opinion is, um, and I've said this to you before. I, you know, I try not to lead with fear, and I try not to follow others. Um, I like to take Ignite funding and, you know, I want to, I want to be the leader in this, this March. So while I'm watching some of my competitors, when I say competitors, I'm talking other, you know, mortgage brokers, while I'm watching them increase on their rates, we're not just a mortgage broker. We're not just originating loans. We're also servicing loans and where they're not making money on servicing, we are. And so my spread is bigger naturally. Now they chose not to go down that path. That's their problem. They should figure that out because there's a lot of money that they're leaving on the sidelines. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think that we're going to see some stabilization. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, it provides us better borrowers, less risk to our investors. If we maintain where we're at right now, now, if we continue to see increases happening, then naturally we will move with that. But If we don't, I don't want to be that person that gouges our current borrowers, potentially losing great relationships that we have over fear, Mm -hmm. over the unknown. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to maintain our levels for the time being. I'm not going to say it's not going to change, but ultimately, I think it's the best position for us right now. Um, We are in a competitive market. We have now placed ourselves where we can compete in some areas we weren't able to in the past. So we have more opportunity. We need more opportunity. We are a growing company. So obviously, you know, bridging that gap has been good for us. So I think it's a good thing. I really, I really think that we're positioned well right now. And you are right. Our investors have had, uh, had some fun years where we have been able to, well, that gap was, 8%, you know, that is closed in. That is definitely closed in. But I think we're well positioned right now. If we need to make changes, we'll make changes. But um, I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to shoot from the hip on this one. Let's talk about those borrowers. When we talk about their, their exit strategy, you know, what are they seeing once they leave us? Kind of what, what happens? They start ratcheting down in interest rate, obviously. But um, are they just moving on to the next Ignite funding or are they going, you know, from us to bank financing? What's happening with them? Well, I'll answer that question in twofold. Since we talk about two different asset classes, residential, commercial, I'll bifurcate that in this answer as well. So on the residential side, most of our borrowers are selling their product to end users. I would say 75% of what we lend on will ultimately be purchased by a consumer. The other part, the smaller part, will actually be refinanced into a build to rent community or maybe a, um, you know, something of that nature where they're going to hold on to it long-term on those, you know, it is taking a little bit longer to get refinanced and the interest rates on single family build to rent communities aren't nearly as good as they are for the detached product. It's just a single family, um, 
single home as opposed to the whole community. That spread is, is quite large at the moment. So they're usually in the seven to 9% range. And then if you flip over to the commercial side, on the commercial side, most of our product, most of the loans we do are paid off via refinance. And when doing that, the rates that they're uh, being charged on average are being cut in half. Hmm. And in some cases, more than half. Uh, if they are able to get the property fully completed and stabilized with the 90-90 rule, meaning 90% leased up for 90 days, that that's when classic stabilization has occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our borrowers are able to get even cheaper financing, sometimes in the fours, even today in the 4% range or in the fours. Um, that That is just, it's hard to come by for, for most borrowers and yeah. most, and it's very hard for consumers to come across. It's just, it's virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but our borrowers are still able to do that because they are bankable. They mm-hmm. are able to go to banks and and other lending institutions to get that cheap money. You're typically not going to a bank. At this point, you're going to life insurance companies, mm-hmm. pension funds, a big fund where you are able to get uh, long-term financing, mm-hmm. one that the, the borrowing entity mm-hmm. really doesn't want the money back. They just yeah. want to clip their coupon, hold on to it and not have to worry about it. Yes. And they're willing stay to stay as long as you want. Absolutely. <laughs> willing to take a, a lower rate of return mm-hmm. to what for what's perceived to be less risk and less mm-hmm. volatility. Hmm. All right. Well, that's uh that's the ending for the rate side. So Pat, let's talk about the acquisition development and construction loans. Um as an investor you know, am I taking on a, a bigger degree of risk in any one of those categories? The simple answer is yes. Acquisition loans are riskier than construction loans. Uh, that's part of the reason banks don't do it. Mm-hmm. But when you dive in a little deeper, you'll see how we mitigate that risk and make it um, to be kind of on par with construction loans. So if you look at our loan to values, you will see our loan to values decrease as it is gets closer to that, the riskier side. The acquisition side will be the lowest loan to values we give out. Development loans will be the middle loan to values we get out. And construction loans, because they take on a lower level of risk, will be the higher loan to values. And conversely, if you look at the interest rates in which the investors are receiving, if you're higher end on that risk scale, you should be compensated more. And we show that. It, you get more money when you're on the acquisition side. You get less money when you're on the construction side. If you want more risk, you get more reward. If you want less risk, you get less reward. Simply put. Very simply put. But there's always a caveat, Cook, and you know better than anybody, there are times in which you give away our loan servicing, where you want to raise money, where you want to say thank you to the investors, and you put on an extra 1%, half a percent, 2%, whatever the case may be. Is that indicative of the risk level? No. has nothing to do with it. It all has to do with the fact that we... We need to give back to our investors. The reality is, is we exist because of them. Mm-hmm. That is our reality, right? And mm-hmm. and we appreciate um, what they have done to allow us to grow this company to the size that it is today with the community of investors that we have. So yeah, what's wrong with on occasion throwing a bone out there, giving away a little bit of the revenue of the company and saying thank you to our investors? Nothing wrong with it at all, but sometimes it could be construed after what I just said as additional risk. But uh, when you see those perk loans, don't assume they're additional risk. It is simply because Carrie uh, was tired of getting beaten down by our management staff. 
There you go. You heard it first here. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert, where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation.